Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed today. We're switching it up. I usually have Mike alongside, but uh, today is it's going to be with Alyssa. How are you, Alyssa? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So we are doing a pre-recorded show today. It's soccer season uh, for Coach Justin. So uh, another pre-recorded show, but it should, should be a pretty good one. We're just going to do a, a frequently asked question show. I know that in our practice uh, and on our email uh, questions at McNamara on money, if you have any particular questions, uh, we do get uh, we do get a lot of questions from clients. And we're going to put together uh, an FAQ show today uh, and just go through some of the questions that we get on a regular basis, because I bet you that there are a lot of folks who have them. Uh, anything you want to say before we get going, Alyssa? Um, no, that's a good intro. Um, I appreciate pre-recording this, uh, show as well, because it's still soccer season for me. So I'll be <laughs> on the fields for one more weekend and it's nice to have the flexibility to, um, do that while the kids are young. So this works out well. Yeah, we but no, run... this is, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're, we're, my, my soccer schedule is three kids every Saturday, all games between <laughs> nine and 11. It's just, that's the way it worked out uh, for oh. us. So I, I didn't, I pretty much don't have a chance unless uh, coach Justin wants to bail, uh, on, on my other coaches. So I, I try to be, we try to be good and spend some time with those kiddos and this helps. Us yeah. Too, right? so, um, all right. So frequently asked question show, I think we're going to spend, you know, we're going to do, we, we have a bunch of questions. Uh, I think I'd like to do some, some relative deep dives on some of them. Right. I mean, I know we, yeah. get, we get a lot and we could just go through and fire off pretty quick answers, but 
Uh, I would like to do uh, some kind of in-depth analysis when it comes to some of the questions, right? So we, we're getting, you know, it's, I think we'll probably spend most of our time on, uh, you know, social security and college savings questions and, and some 401k stuff. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do have our calculators fire, fired up our, uh, we, you know, we use uh, our NAVAPLAN system and uh, that's our that's our financial planning software and we have a few other calculators that we that we use here at our office as well and so uh, we'll, I, I fired I fired those up and I have some information uh, and we're just going to go through and, and run some different scenarios here so that's great we and actually Kirk and I just did a show recently on on the topic of college and we called it how much college can you afford and we talked about maybe okay. some of the, there'll be a little bit of overlap today just just so you're aware um but yeah, talking through some of these things, maybe we'll come at it from a little bit of a different angle today, but we touched on some of these things because college can be such a daunting, I mean, I think the more information, the better when it comes to saving for college, Yeah. Um, it can be just such a daunting financial goal for many people. Um, they don't have as much time to save for it as they do for their own retirement. So it's more difficult in that regard. And, and it's also quite unpredictable because who knows when your kid is one or two, you know, how, what college they'll go to and how much it will cost. So it's a very, very difficult goal to plan for. So um, I think it's great to touch on it as much as possible. Okay, terrific. All right, so, uh, all right, let me see. Let's hopefully- I'm So where are we starting? In. I thought we would start with, um, let's start with social, you wanna do uh, college or social security, Medicare, stuff like that. Uh, let's do social security, I guess. Okay. All right. So first question is, uh, it should I wait until age 70 to take Social Security? Now, as, as, as most of you probably know, we do have, you know, you do have the ability to take Social Security at 62 uh, and you have the ability to wait all the way until 70. And when you take your Social Security will depend, you know, what will affect how much uh, you get for your benefit. Right. And so the, I, I think the I, I think. I don't know if it's the standard recommendation, but I think the recommendation that I sort of hear most in the media is that I that you should wait until age seventy to take Social Security. Now, do you, do you do you agree with that statement? Again, I don't have any evidence to support it, but I just feel like that's the that's kind of the the uh, the generally sort accepted a, wisdom. Yeah, I mean, and I think that there's a lot to that. I I I think there's a lot of situations where it makes sense to delay until seventy. But I, I also think that it comes, I mean, that there's a lot to consider. Like if someone is retiring at 60, for example, you know, on the earlier side, and they're not going to collect until 70, that's 10 years of drawing income from somewhere else. And that's a long period of time. And, you know, it depends on what the strain is on their assets in that period of time. So there, you know, there could be a situation like that where it might not make sense to delay. Yeah. Um, that's just one example. I also think that, that it can be a little bit emotional for people. Um, you know, they've been paying taxes into the system for so long. And sometimes people just kind of want their money back from the government. So, you know, I would never talk somebody out of that frame of mind where they're just kind of like, nope, I want my money back and, and I'm collecting, even though maybe financially it might make a little bit more sense. And also this is a little bit unfortunate to talk about, but if someone doesn't have a very long life expectancy, if yeah. there's a medical issue or something, 
something, um, then they're going to want to collect earlier because they'll, um, if you do a break-even analysis, if you're, if you're not going to live past your statistical life expectancy, then it's going to make sense to collect on the earlier side. So there are definitely situations where it makes sense to collect before 70. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I, just I think, as, and just as many yeah. where it makes sense to delay. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, the ob, you know, the answer is, you know, the financial answer is almost ex it's exclusively uh, determined by your life expectancy, right? And how long you yeah. actually live. I mean, not not your life expectancy. It's it's really how long you live. Mm -hmm. uh, and since no, you know, no one knows the answer to that question in advance, it obviously makes it a fairly complicated answer. And I think I would, yeah, I, I would echo your uh, thoughts there that you know, obviously everything when we're working with our clients is customized to the client. And so, you know, we we're I think we explain to clients on a fairly regular basis. I think, you know, probably our average situation when we're running a scenario is, you know, I'll say something like, well, probably the best uh, the, the best outcome for you or, or, or the the uh, the choice that's going to make more than likely the most sense is for you to delay until age 70 for at least one of the spouses. Um, but that's not always what ends up happening because there are obviously lots of other circumstances, right? I mean, it, it is, it can be emotional, like you said. Uh, some, some folks don't like the idea of drawing down on their nest egg, right? Because then if, if you have a situation where if you do wait, right, if you're, if you retire early at 60 and then you, you know, you need to cover 10 years of income before you file at 70, well, then you, your nest egg will be depleted. And then if you pass away at, you know, in your early 70s, then, you know, your heirs get less money because obviously Social Security doesn't get passed on. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I think that probably the, the accepted wisdom is, is likely correct. And it's probably usually, you know, for, for the average person, it's probably the right recommendation. But again, everyone is different. So we want to we uh, make sure that we're customizing uh, our answers um, yeah, and I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up again about another like coming at it from an um, people can be emotional about their money, right? And pretty much everybody is, and that's just how it is, and yeah, um, and that's okay. Um, there's a lot of you're right. There's a lot of people that have a hard time drawing from their portfolio, right? Like you know, yep. people are sort of trained. You know, some people are better saver than other savers than others, of course. But people are trained for their entire adult life, right, to save, 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 save. And sometimes it can be hard for people to um, transition to taking money out. You know, they've seen their portfolio grow for hopefully what forty years, and they don't want to start seeing it shrink, right? So people might not. Um, some people have a hard time starting the draw and they might want to start with that draw being as small as possible, which means that they would want to start Social Security instead of exclusively drawing from the portfolio because exclusively drawing from the portfolio means you're drawing more, right, if you're not collecting Social Security. So it certainly can be emotional in that regard as well. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to be clear, a scenario that I also run into on a fairly frequent basis, right? So if, if you if you have if you are a person, or in our case, if we're working with with a client who has saved aggressively and has been very very financially responsible, a lot of times, you know, we you know we're always doing our scenario analysis to uh, you know to give clients a, you know an idea of where they stand relative to their retirement goals. Um, oftentimes, you know, if if you have a 
if if you're you know if you're Monte Carlo, which which you know I'll I'll explain briefly here, but I'm sure folks uh, our regular listeners know what it is, right? So if you if you run a, a scenario analysis that incorporates you know market volatility and different investment returns, that's called our our Monte Carlo analysis, where we run multiple scenarios and try to you know and try to uh, get an idea of how your your plan will unfold in lots of different market scenarios. Um, if your Monte Carlo analysis says 100% success rate or 99% success rate based on the fact that you take uh, Social Security at, um, you know, at 70, it may only, it may be no different at all, right? You know, if you change it to age 66 or even age 62, right? So if you've, if you've saved aggressively, it may very well be that, you know, your, your preferred retirement scenario is going to work regardless, in, in which case then it can be, you know, it, it's much more of a, um, it's much more of a preference, right? So that's a that's a fairly regular scenario that we get into. Although, but then there's other scenarios where we will, you know, where there will be a difference in somebody taking uh, and taking Social Security early, say, versus taking it at age 70, because the, you know the numbers do add up, especially when you're talking about uh, longer life expectancy, which I do, I do have some numbers on. Um, if we, you know, if, if once oh, cool. We... You want to go through that? I was also just going to yeah. add that. Um, you just sort of touched on this a, li a little bit, but for some people, Social Security is a relatively small um, component of their income and in retirement. Maybe yep. for a married couple, it's different. Sometimes a married, you know, a married couple, especially if they've, you know, worked and made good money, and they, you know, they don't retire until sixty-five or seventy. You know, then two Social Securities for um, people that have, you know, maybe maxed of paying Social Security taxes yeah. for their life can be certainly quite substantial. But for some people, um, you know, some people have, you know, a pension and a small Social Security, or somebody single might just have one Social Security and and money's coming from elsewhere, at least hopefully, right? So yep. sometimes it's such a small variable in their life that it's not even like, I was going to, not that it's not worth calculating, but some people stress about this a lot, but in the grand scheme of um, someone's financial plan, it's not always a really big variable. So I kind of like try to help people relax a little bit about yeah. the specifics related to that sometimes. But, you know, again, if you're working with someone where their social security benefit is a large component of their income and retirement, then that's a different story. Um, but for, it's not always for everybody. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, again, with the general wisdom, and you do have, you know, you'll, you will have folks because, you know, folks who are sort of well read in the investment world, or they listen to a lot of radio programs, will come in with, you know, will kind of come in with answers, oh, I need to wait until so until 70 to take my social security. Well, that's not always the case, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, occasionally, yeah. you will we'll have to talk people down, right? Just, just, I mean, the same way that it's, it's not the end of the world, right? If you if you own an actively managed mutual fund, right? You know the, the general wisdom out there is now, oh, you want to own an ETF that's an index fund, and and you know maybe maybe you've heard that actively managed investments are bad, right? That's that's you know certainly true that you know generally speaking, an index fund probably beats an actively managed mutual fund, but it doesn't mean that if you if you own an actively managed fund, it's the end of the world, right? It doesn't mean right, you know, liquidate right. your portfolio. The, the general wisdom isn't always what you have to do. And I think, uh, you know, we, we should just let people know that as well. It's not always a life and death decision uh, yeah. when you're when you're talking about this stuff. Yeah. And I also I just wanted to add that 
I think it's perfectly appropriate for this decision to be um, fluid and sort of made on the, maybe made on the fly a little bit. What I mean by that is, I think when you collect social security can also be a market related decision. Um, so maybe if someone's, you know, planning, they're retired or they're about to retire and they're planning to collect later, let's say they're 62 and they're planning to delay till 70. It, you, of course you can change that, you know, and collect any time. Of course, there's things to think about whether there's earned income, et cetera, when you're, and when you're collecting. But um, I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this is, if there is a period of market, um, a long period of market downturn, yep. then that could be an opportunity to say, you know, I'm drawn from my portfolio X percent. Maybe it's a little bit higher than I'm comfortable with because I'm planning to stop it or reduce it when I collect social security. But yep. if you run into a situation where, hey, maybe it's not a great idea for me to draw so much from my portfolio when it's going down in value and we haven't recovered yet, that's an opportunity to you know, I'm not waiting till 70. I'm going to start this stream of income now, reduce my draw from my portfolio and allow my portfolio to recover um, and, you know, and re relieve the stress on it a little bit. So I kind of approach it for some people as a kind of a fluid decision. And let's just talk about it, you know, once or twice a year and revisit the economics and, you know, in the stock market situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think I, I would echo that. I have the, you know, we regularly get asked about, you know, kind of pre by pre-retirees, right? Folks who are, you know, in their late 50s, early 60s and are, are you know, starting to do, um, you know, some, some detailed work on retirement. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're planning, if you're 62 and you're planning to retire at 66, uh, I don't spend a ton of time on, and I don't think most people should either, on, you know, what your social security decision is going to be, right? Because a lot can change in those four years. Again, I, I don't even, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't specifically say the market might, you know, might give us an opportunity to, to do one thing or the other. Uh, but I mean, just, a, just a lot can change, right? You know, you, you, may, yeah. you may decide not to retire at 66. So doing that detailed work and making, you know, locking in a decision, not that it would really be locked in, um, but, you know, getting, getting anchored to one thing or the other, uh, e even years ahead of when you might take social security, uh, I don't think is necessarily all that helpful because yeah. again, situations change, right? You know, people get sick, they, you know, they, they, um, they, <laughs> they decide they want to work longer. There's all kinds of things that could change your social security. Yeah. They pick decision. up a consulting job. They have too much income. Right. They shouldn't collect anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah there's happens. no, there's no yeah. real re other, other than to maybe take a look at some of the, you know, the, you know, if it's really going to change your retirement odds or it's going to make a big difference on the draw in your portfolio, that's the kind of thing that you want to get educated about in the years ahead. But the actual decision uh, as far as, you know, what you should quote unquote do uh, probably should be, you know, should be right at the time of retirement. Literally, it should be like yeah. a, that last meeting uh, before you retire and Hey, this is, this is the plan. Uh, and, you know, then you just have a lot more information uh, yeah. on which to make some decisions. So. Do you have some calculations you wanted to run through to do some yeah, analysis I thought, on different ages? I thought we would just run through, you know, j just to, you know, to try to illustrate the differences. Um, let me, so I'm going to go, I'm going to have, I have a client here. I'm just going to run through a kind of, kind of a generic scenario. Uh oh, I got signed out. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm back here. So I just have a, you know, a, a quick example. Uh, I have Joe and Joe and Jane example. Uh, they are both. Uh, let's see there. Let's see. Joe was born 
1959. So that makes him what, 62. And then uh, what do we have? Jane. Jane was born in uh, 1961. So I guess that makes her. Uh, what is that? Do I have my numbers wrong? No. Can you hear me, Justin? Yeah, I can hear you. Can oh, you hear I me? think my microphone just checked out. Yeah, I okay. was just saying that I think Joe and Jane are the parents of your childhood best friend. Is this correct? Yeah, that's right. Did you do yeah, that on purpose? I don't, but you know, I do use I do use Joe and Jane fairly often. Maybe that's maybe that's why. Maybe like it was your subliminal. second parents when you were growing I up. I know <laughs> that is strange. Uh, it must have been yeah, must have been something subconscious. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Joe is uh, Jane is sixty. Uh, Joe is 62. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, the estimated monthly PIA, right? So your primary insurance amount, I have Joe at uh, $1,500 in uh, a primary insurance amount. The PIA is the amount that you qualify for or your projected amount at your normal retirement age, right? So, okay. that's, you know, for most 66 people, and like yeah, now, now it's seven, most people yeah. are 67, uh, okay. but sort of people who are, you know, approaching, um, retirement age here it's it's you know it could be 66 in some months okay uh and we'll have jane in at uh two thousand dollars per month i'm going to give them a, a you know i'll give them a life expectancy of age 85 uh, for okay, right now so slight probably slightly longer than statistical averages especially for joe being a male right yes yeah, like I think it's a little bit longer than the male yeah, Joe's probably in the 84 range and you know jane you know a 60-ish year old uh, female is probably in the 86, 87 range. Yeah, maybe we might be a little, a little long on Joe, a little short on Jane, but we can just, you know, I'm using okay. round numbers just to make sure that the, yeah, uh, to make things easily digestible on the radio. So, all right, so I have Joe and Jane. And let me see. I mean, I have to save and view these results. And so we have a, we have a piece of software that's, you know, sort of says, okay, what, what you should do, okay. And so the, you know, based on an age like, you know. Age, uh, an age 85 life expectancy yeah. the software suggests that actually that they both should wait until age 70 right so the default okay. is and i think i think the break even is usually around age 80 i think it's somewhere in the 82 range I'm, you know. yeah i was gonna say like between 82 and 84 depending on male female that's what i would guess like i bet okay. if you change their life expectancies to 78 or 80 it would say something different okay well, you just right we could play around with that yeah, we've, we've got about four minutes before the break, just so you know. Okay, four minutes. Okay. Um, anyway, so, all right. So, yeah, so the break even is again in the early 80s. And so, anytime you're using a life expectancy in a calculator, um, again, that's, uh, that's going to show you generally, it's going to say you should wait until 70 because, you know, if your life expectancy is higher, then you should wait longer because you get to collect those larger benefits. For a longer period of time and then you know in that case waiting uh ends up being um being the right move so the the uh and i'm gonna go to i'll just go to the compare screen yeah and if you had like probably if you had age 90 or 95 or anything yep. any higher life expectancy it would be the same recommendation that's I'm right i'm gonna guess just because yeah the longer you live the if you live a long life you're gonna want to delay benefits so you have that higher benefit for a long period of time right and yeah. so again, so under normal, what do I, okay, we're up against this. We should be able to finish this. Um, all right. So normal life expectancy and all this software doesn't, I mean, it does a lot more than this, but what I'm going to, you know, what oh, we're okay. going to use it for is just, it's going to give you the total payout 
over your life expectancy. So, right, if, 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 they, if they follow the recommendations by our social security calculator, what they're gonna see is they'll have a normal, uh, under their normal life expectancy of age 85, their total payout combined will be uh, $1,081,000 in change, right? That's what they'll collect over their life expectancy. If you, if you go down, right, so we have some other examples. If Joe takes his benefit right away, mm -hmm. right, if he takes his now and then uh, Jane starts hers at, at age 62, and they, again, they both live until age 85, their total combined benefit will be $876,000 and change, right? Yeah, so, you know, it's, much you know, lower. There, there are a couple, you know, maybe 150 grand or so. Uh, no, that's a couple hundred grand lower um, because they took the lower amount earlier and they didn't, and, it, and because they lived to age 85, they, they never, uh, you know, eventually that the higher benefits um, gave you the larger benefit, okay? Right, yeah. Um, I'll... Do we have time? How much time? We have, we, like a, we have less than two minutes. So I would okay. keep going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it if, if they, you know, and, and they also have a short life, long life comparison, right? So if they live a long life, so if they live, if they live until 95, so 10 years over life expectancy, if they had waited until age 70, their benefit, total benefits are about $2 million, right? So just $101,999,000 in change. Wow. Whereas if they had taken it, early, the benefit would have been just $1.4 million. So, you know, in that scenario, there's a 600, there's an almost $600,000 difference if they both end up living to 95. And I think this is, this is why you get that recommendation of, well, hey, wait till 70. It's a great yeah. protection against longevity because you can, as you can see, you know, a, a, a long live person is collecting, you know, 600 grand more in, in this particular example. And it could be even more if we were dealing with higher benefits, right? 2,000 and, and 1,500 aren't particularly high PIAs if you've been, you know, working in, you know, higher end jobs for most of your career. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I have a couple of thoughts on this, but we should probably break. Um, and maybe I, I want to share some thoughts after the break. All right. We will be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. Welcome back. To McNamara on money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed. Uh, we are doing a frequently asked questions radio show today. Alyssa, are you still with us? I am still with you. Yes. <laughs> Mike and I have, have had uh, have had a lot of uh, problems since our since we joined CAP. It seems like every show we have at least one glitch with our technology. Oh, geez. But if we would actually ever get into the into the studio to record live, that might be uh, we could alleviate that. But hey, yeah. it, it is what it is for now. Anyways, if uh, so, again, we're doing frequently asked questions. If you, the listener, has any questions, uh, shoot us an email. You can reach us at questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. Again, that's questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. We check that on a very regular basis. Uh, if you have any uh, questions for us personally, uh, you can reach us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamara of the Merrimack up in the Merrimack Valley. All right. So you had some more thoughts on our social security 
discussion. Yeah, I just, I, the software that um, we use is pretty cool. I actually haven't popped in here in a little while, so I'm glad you're um, bringing this up again, but it's just, you know, it's like an optimizer, right? You know, yeah. entering in someone's information ages, um, information from their social security statement, and it's telling you, giving them like the optimum scenarios based on life expectancy, which is really cool. So the chart we're looking at now, um, you know, Justin was giving some of the numbers before the break, but the chart we're looking at now gives total amount of money received from the Social Security Administration over this couple's lifetime under different scenarios. So yep. for example, if this, you know, Joe and Jane uh, client lived to age, um, what was it? A normal life expectancy, which was 85. Yeah, we, we okay. used 85. Yep. Yep. So this, this particular married couple, you know, this hypothetical couple here would collect a million and $81,000, for example, if they live to a normal life, if they, if they delay their benefit to 70, but then it gives, you know, uh, other scenarios, like if they were to collect early, both of them at age 62, they would receive from social security, just $876,000 if they live to that same life expectancy of 85. So I, I, first of all, I think, I think it's super helpful to see the numbers and, and yeah. um, in some regards makes the decision a little bit easy, but I just wanted to go one step further and explain that, this isn't the whole picture either, right? So right. if someone is to collect early, right? So on paper, it looks like, oh, I'm giving up, what is that, a hundred, two hundred and almost $200,000, right? If I, right. I'm foregoing $200,000 from Social Security Administration if I collect early. But that's not the full picture because if this person collects early, then they're not drawing as much, or maybe they're not drawing anything from their portfolio right. because they collected early, right? So it, it's not, um, I guess I just wanted to point that out as like, this is great and helpful, but it's not the big picture because if you delay till 70, yeah, you're going to collect a couple hundred thousand dollars more, um, but how much did you draw from your portfolio in that period of time? Right. It might not be, right? It could be more than $200,000 because taxes to draw from certain types of accounts are more than the taxes you pay on social security. So it could be, so I just wanted to point out that that's not the big picture. And of course, this is why we do, you know, holistic planning, right? Where we're, where we're taking into account all of these things. Um, but I just thought that was helpful to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, so yeah, the, 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 you know, this particular calculator is, is very focused on this decision, right? You know, yeah. obviously our software will incorporate the, the social security decision into the rest of your life. There's obviously pros and cons to both, but at least this, this lets you look at a very, you know, answer very specific questions. Um, we obviously use our, our, our full-blown retirement planning software to, you know, to, to plan out the rest of folks' lives, it, it just gets a little bit more complicated, right? It's not, you know, the reason we're yeah. using this particular software here is because it's easier to talk about on the radio. Uh, and, and, it, you know, and I should mention, yeah. you know, when, when you talk about that, you can start to factor in things like, oh, well, well, you know, what's my, what am I earning? What's my rate of return on the pot of money from which I'm drawing, right? You know, you, you may have right. one client who's, uh, who's particularly conservative and their money is in the, is in the bank and you know they're drawing down on a portfolio that's earning one percent a year versus someone else maybe who's on the who's on the aggressive side and you know they they you know maybe they're earning five or six or even seven percent per year depending again depending on how they're 
their particular uh, risk, what their, what their risk profile looks like. So uh, right. there's a there's a lot of complication that goes into this. We're just trying to you know illustrate you know this is this is kind of where you get that recommendation of oh hey you should wait until age seventy. I can you know real quick I maybe I'll just I, I did want to um, let me go through just a quick while you're bump. doing that yeah go ahead. I, I think that um, this software has been helpful it is not so much moving forward but has been helpful when there were those what i'm going to call loopholes in the social security yeah uh, uh, it, whatever fine print where where married couples could you know collect off each other's benefits and like delay their own benefit and collect off their spouse's benefit and there was a lot of options for married couples there those are being phased out like two years from now essentially those are going to be completely phased out but yep. this has been helpful in in and determining optimum strategies for married couples yep. um but pe people have to be born before January 1 of 1954 in order to take advantage of any sort of spousal options um, anyway. So this is, it's, I think it's been very helpful in that regard, but in a few years. Yeah. Less. Yeah. So if you're, if, if, if you fit that category, again, I had, I had a scenario where we, we were able to implement one of these strategies very recently with a client and, you know, they, they, they don't come up that much anymore just because there's yeah. only a few more years when anyone could qualify. But yeah, that's, we, we do use that and, and uh, we'll probably still keep the software around afterwards. But, um, yeah. you know, just, just briefly here, uh, if the, the numbers do get a lot, a lot larger, if you have, you know, two folks who, you know, two, two folks who have been uh, higher income earners for both the, uh, you know, for, for most of their lives, or they have those 35 years of, of pretty substantial earnings, right? So I ran uh, a $2,800 per month PIA, yeah. which I think is on the, you know, the, on the upper end of the range of what you can, you know, yeah. of what you can actually qualify for. Um, if in that scenario, right, I kept Joe and Jane, and all I did was I changed, I, I, I gave them larger social security benefits, right? They each had a $2,800 uh, PIA. Um, the the uh, the normal life scenario they collect in this case they collect 1.7 million versus the early is uh, 1.4 million so again it's it's a mm. uh, it's a it's a still like a three hundred thousand dollar difference for their regular life expectancy which is substantial but when you look at the long life uh, it's 3.2 million versus 2.268 million so you know if if especially yeah. on the higher end the numbers can get fairly fairly staggering with regards to you know, how much more you collect over a long period of time. Again, if you're yeah. long lived, and which is why we, you know, we, we do tend to say that, you know, we don't know how long our clients are going to live. We, we, we try to do our best to make educated guesses and be on the conservative side. But if you do, if you do have social security, especially if you have a, a larger benefit and you are, and you're trying to protect yourself against longevity, it's, it's hard yeah. to beat waiting until 70, at least for one spouse, right? Yeah. I, and I think a really good strategy is for, one spouse to collect upon retirement and maybe one spouse to delay the benefit and that you're yep. sort of, you're sort of hedging, you yeah. know, against all scenarios there. And, um, and, and you, I, you, usually it would be the, the, the lower earning spouse takes it early. Right. right. I, I think, you, you know, you do want to lock yeah. in that age 70 benefit, but yeah, that's a, I, I find yeah. that's kind of the hedge of, well, I really don't want to wait <laughs> until right. I'm age 70. I really want up. my money. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you can have some of your money, but we're going to delay the larger of the two benefits until 70, at least as a suggestion. I think that's a good strategy for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. 
Because, you know, important to note, and I think most people do know this, but important to note that the surviving spouse will collect the higher of the two benefits, no matter which spouse survives the other. Right. So if you're delaying one benefit until 70, the larger of the two benefits, you're locking in a high amount of fixed income for whoever outlives the other. Um, and so I think that that's really prudent. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Should we move on? We've, we've, we've move uh, on. done that yeah. question to death. Look at that. Yep. I know. Uh, we well, could that's... have done a whole show on all of these uh, questions. I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, we do. I think that's probably, that we might do. be the most we common question that I get. That. Though, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. What's next? Where do you want to go? All right. I don't, should we stay, should we stick with social security? Maybe we just should, you know, I don't want to make it a whole social security show. Yeah. But, um, yeah w- will I get social security if I have uh, a pension that is not uh, sort of a non-covered pension, right? So if you have a pension uh, with the state or, you know, it's, it's usually uh, government employees or teachers that we're seeing this mm-hmm. with. Uh, where you have a pension and your earnings are not covered by social security, right? And again, we'll, we'll use a teacher because that's kind of the, you know, that's the one that I see the most, you know, will I still get social security if I have a pension? And it, the answer is it's, it's a pretty complicated answer um, yeah. with regards to how much you're going to get. Um, I have, you know, I have some of the information I did pull it up because, you know, when you get into this stuff um, it's, it gets pretty complicated, but if you have, I guess, you know, the answer is you'll still get your entire social security only if you have 30 years of substantial earnings, which are, you know, including all of the earnings you have from your pension. So I, I guess, you know, in cases where maybe you're working multiple jobs and that's really, that's, it's really the hard, you know, it's the, the difficulty is here. You have to, by age 62, have 30 years of substantial earnings, substantial earnings, are, do I have that? I, don't think I, have that. I have that in front of me actually. And I'm sure yeah. you can find that on the social security website, but like, for Just, example, yeah, what was it this year? Yeah. 2021, the definition of substantial earnings is 26,550. Right. And if you go back, there's a whole table in the social security um, handbook. And of course on their website yeah. regarding year over year, what is the definition of substantial earnings? So, you know, of course, factoring in inflation, but in today's dollars, you have to make 26,550 50 um, in this calendar year for that to be counted toward one of those years. Right. 10, ten years ago, it was 19,800. And 2001, 20 years ago, it was 14,925. The numbers get pretty small as you go back to the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But again, in, in you know, that's adjusting for inflation as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I don't know what your experience is here. Uh, I it's I think it's fairly uncommon for you to have 30 years of substantial earnings along with kind of a substantial pension, right? I mean, you yeah. certainly can do it, and I'm sure there are a lot of folks who do it. You're, you're essentially firefighters. Firefighters yeah. are like the ones that I see because they can hold basically two full time jobs just based on their schedules. Right. But yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's yeah. You, you see it. Le- you know, you see it. We'll, we'll see a lot of church teachers who might work. You know, kind of you know in the summers. Uh, but again, for, for this year to yeah. get up to $26,000, you have to be doing a bunch of work. So I think it's it's maybe fairly uncommon, but that's yeah. what you have to hit in order to have your social security not be affected. Right. Okay. In order to collect the full benefit that's right. reported on your statement. 
um, important to note that even if you have less than those 30 years of substantial earnings, yep. you still will receive a social security benefit, but it's going to be substantially reduced. Right. And based on the calculations, as, as, as far as I can understand the calculations, whatever <laughs> you see on your state, yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah. you see on your statement, it's a little bit less than half of that. Because the way that they do the calculation is there's like, there's, there's a factor in their calculation when they go to calculate the PIA, the primary insurance amount. Yep. And that factor is essentially reduced in half, a little bit more than in half. It goes from a 90% factor to a 40% factor if you don't have those 30 years of substantial earnings. Yep. So essentially, you know, somebody that's a teacher or whatever, they're getting their social security statement and they're like, oh, but it says I'm gonna have 500 bucks a month at, at retirement. But if you don't have those 30 years of substantial earnings, you're gonna get a little bit less than half of that as far as I can understand um, the calculations. So you'll get something, but it's gonna be smaller than you think it is. Yeah, yeah, and again, the the, you know, part of the issue is the complexity of the system, you know, uh, you know, on, on you know, how, how Social Security calculates their uh -huh. benefit, right? I mean, you're talking about your highest 35 years, and then they have, you know, it's, you know, your first X number of earnings is, is this percent, and then the next number is this percent. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a good rule of thumb. In order to actually get your number, you can, you know, you could obviously, you know, work with Social Security. I think you can go put in your information into the Social Security website. There are also yeah. calculators out there that will let you do that. Again, it's, it's not easy, right? It's, it's certainly the rule of thumb may be sort of the best way to do it, even if you're, uh, you know, at least until you're right up to the, you know, to retirement. Uh, and then maybe you want to get your very specific number, but yeah, you'll, you'll collect yeah. something. Um, but it's again, yeah, in that a half is a good ballpark. Um, which is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a bummer because a lot of those benefits, right. So if you, if you were working part-time, right, your benefit probably likely isn't that high anyway. So, you know, a lot of times you see benefits in that, you know, maybe the 500 to $800 range. And then once you're reducing it from there, you know, you, you can sometimes. Yeah. And it just, wanted to note that if you have 20 years of substantial earnings, you're getting the factor that they use increases between the 20 and 30 year mark. So if you have 20, 22, 25 years of substantial earnings, yeah. you're getting more than half because they're, they're like pro rata increasing that factor all the way up to the full factor when you have the 30 years. So there's yeah. like a phase in range when you have 20 years of substantial earnings. Yeah, it looks like I have a chart here that it says, you know, 20 years or less, it looks like the maximum WEP reduction is like four, it's just about $500, $498. And then as you, you know, years 20 through 30, the reduction uh, slowly goes down and hits zero, yeah. right? Yeah. So but again, yeah. fairly, you know, again, unless you're a firefighter, it's, we don't see it all that it's... often where you get to that 30, but yeah, if you, yeah. if you have it lucky, you know, good for you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else on that one? I think we've probably done that. That's, that's a lot of uh, no. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. What else is on your FAQs? Uh, all right. Do you want to jump around? Maybe we can jump around. Oh, how do I apply for Medicare? Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I jumped to Medicare. Uh, that's a quick one that we get relatively okay. easy. You, you know, you can log into SS, uh, SSA.gov. Uh, and most people, you know, for the most part, I think they're just visiting their local Social Security office. So um yeah i don't know i'm assuming you can do to... that now i haven't heard that if those if those are open or not oh yeah that's a great maybe question they, i mean they haven't been for about a year and a half but yeah maybe they are now i haven't heard the latest the social security website is you know i, I go on there and poke around every once in a while and it's 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 get it's a, it's a lot better than it was a bunch of years ago now so i yeah i, I would start there and 
you know, especially now that most people are, people are more and more tech savvy. I would, I would give that one a shot, but uh, yeah. All right. All right. What else do we have here? All right. Let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to jump down. Want to do an investment question? Yeah. Uh, all right. So what do I do with my old 401ks? All right. Mm. So we have, we, we do have folks that we run into on a regular basis um, with, uh, with the amount of job change that goes, that, that goes on in our economy these days. Uh, this is the, what do I do if I have five different 401k questions? You want to take a shot at that one? I'll, 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 I'll throw that one to you first before I answer it. Um, yeah, I guess, um, well, I would start, I mean, there's a lot to discuss here. I feel like we're going to, we're going to need more than the 10 minutes we have before the break. Um, I mean, I think that there is certain, there are certainly reasons to consolidate old accounts. I mean, first and foremost, just because we run into people all the time that like forget that they have money in certain places. And the more <laughs> yeah. accounts that the average investor has, the less likely they are paying close attention to that account in terms of the investment strategy. Right. Um, and if, and if, you know, you're, and if you're not affiliated with the company anymore, um, and you're not working with the, you know, advisor on the plan because you don't work for the company anymore, you know, maybe you're not having that uh, discussion, you know, with, with the representative on the plan, um, I think it's just unlikely that if you have several retirement plans from old jobs that you're really paying attention to them. Um, so that's number one. And I think that's first and foremost, a, a good reason for people to consolidate. Um, you know, people have several options when they leave a job and have money in a 401k. They can generally leave it there unless the company forces them out. I, I think that's pretty rare that they would get forced out from what I understand, right? It has to be like a pretty small balance, like under 5,000 for you to get forced out of a plan, right? Yep. Unless they close it. Yep. Um, so generally speaking, you can leave it there. But again, you know, make, just would want to make sure you're actually paying attention to it and don't forget about it, especially if it's a small balance. And, you know, in this world where paper statements are being eliminated and, you know, things going to email and getting caught in spam filters and people changing email accounts and stuff like that. It, it, it's just, it's easy to lose track of, you know, especially a small chunk of money. So um, a lot of people will have the option to um, roll it into a new 401k. So if someone switches jobs, they leave a 401k behind, they have a new 401k at their new company. Um, they generally have the option to roll it in. I don't, I think it's pretty rare that that's not allowed. Certainly most financial custodians would welcome new money into the yeah. plan. Um, so generally you can do that. And I think you can even like, if you have an old 403B and you have a new 401k, I think you can even, even though sometimes they're a little bit different, I think you can combine those sometimes. Yep. I forget the specifics on that one, but I'm pretty sure you can. Yep. Um, and then the third option is to, I guess there's a fourth option that we could quickly touch on, but the third option is to roll it to an IRA and you can do that on your own and, and manage the account yourself, or you can work with an advisor, someone like us that helps people roll and manage funds. Um, so that would be a third option. And then the fourth option is crash it out. But generally speaking, you don't want to do that. I, I crash it, I mean, or, or close it out, yeah. meaning take a withdrawal. But generally speaking, you don't want to do that, even if it's a really small balance. Um, you know, especially if you're under 59 and a half, you certainly don't want to do that and, and get an extra tax penalty. So that fourth option, in my opinion, really isn't an option. We would focus on the first three. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think, you know, just, just to follow up a little bit on there, you know, if you have, I mean, let's use an, you know, a relatively extreme, extreme example. I, I don't usually see folks with more than, 
let's just say five uh, old 401ks. Yeah. But you know, th the reality is at that point, you know, if even if you have two, you know, one is almost certainly better or worse, right? And if you have multiple old 401ks, then all of a sudden the justification for having them you know, it is reduced by the number, right? Because, you know, all 401ks are different, right? You know, you, they have different cost structures, they have different investments, they have, you know, you know, different, you know, kind of management uh, and, and administration stuff. And the, you know, the, the idea that all of your 401ks are, are exactly the same is, is it's, it's just probably not reality, right? You know, probably one of those 401ks is going to have worse investment options. One of those 401ks is going to have mm -hmm. a higher underlying cost structure. All right. And so the, the justification for having that many really, I don't think there really is one. You know, the, the question is, what do you do with them? Um, I mean, in theory, what you should do probably every time you, you change a job, you should make the calculation. OK, well, what's my old 401k look like? And then what do I do with it as I make this move? Right. Because as a you know, when you're in a 401k, you can almost certainly move an old retirement plan into the 401k. Now it, it's, it's not going to be easy, right? The, the administration end of it, you know, you have to get in, in touch with human resources and you have to have someone who knows what they're doing and you have to contact whoever it is, if it's Empower or Fidelity or, or you know, Transamerica, whoever your 401k custodian is, the, the actually getting money from one place to another or one 401k or retirement plan to another, generally speaking, isn't all that easy. Uh, but I would make that I would try to make that decision at each move and that way you don't, you know, you don't end up with a bunch of old ones, right? So, okay, I have my 401k at my former job. I now have a new 401k. I can look at the cost structure, which again is, I would say, exceptionally difficult, right? It's, it's hard to figure out what the cost structure of your 401k is. Um, yeah. you know, it's I mean, I, some more. <laughs> if we, if we can't figure it out, how I is know. the average investor figuring it out? I mean, people <laughs> ask me that and I'm just like, honestly, I don't know where people go yeah. to find can, that information. I'm assuming it's in the fine print of their plan documents. Yeah. You but. can request all the, I forget the name. I don't know if it's the, um, the statement of it, you know, there, there's, there, so you can request rest assured it, the law states that you can uh, you know, you, you must be offered the documentation that states how, uh, how much you're paying for a 401k. Now, whether or not you can actually read that document uh, mm -hmm. is, is another story. And I, I should know this. I'm blanking on the name of it at the moment. But, um, you know, there is a document that will give you the cost structure and, um, and you can find it in there, although it's, it's exceptionally difficult, right? You, you probably weren't given this document. You'd have to request it. You'd have to know the name of it. And then you'd have to yeah. have it sent over and then you'd have to interpret it. Right. So, but I, I would do that, you know, the, the part of the benefit, at least to the IRA world and, you know, and, and moving it to your own IRA or an IRA managed by, you know, an advisor is at least, you know, what you're paying, right. You know, our, our clients know what yeah. they're paying and every IRA is, you know, they, they stick it down there in writing. This is your cost structure and it's very easy to understand. So that's one of the benefits of it, but Again, the ideal, I think, is that every every move you say, all right, hey, which 401k is better or worse? If your old 401k is, you know, has better investments and it's less expensive, then you know maybe by all means you can leave that 401k there, and then you know, then all of a sudden you have multiple 401ks, and then you can make that same decision the next time you move. 
and inevitably you get to situations where it, you know it all of a sudden it starts it starts making sense to combine them right if your third company is has the lowest costs and it's the best 401k well then you can take your two old 401ks and you can move them into that one right or or maybe every time you know for for your own sanity every time you move you just you know you you have an IRA and it's an investment strategy that you uh, that you came up with and and that you trust and then you just dump your 401k in each time. And that way it's, it saves you the, uh, the hassle of having to go through that, through that process yeah. every time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard for people to know whether they have good investments in their 401k. I yep. mean, you and I see so many, uh, 401k plans that, you know, we could quickly say, yeah, this, you know, you've got some good options here or you don't. I mean, just the nature of a 401k is such that the investment options inside the plan are limited, yep. which actually is, there's a lot, the, there's some school of thought that that's actually a good thing because overwhelming investors, you know, the average investor with too many choices um, will lead them to not make a choice and, you know, be confused and, um, and that's not good either. So I do think generally speaking, it's good to have limited choices in a 401k, but, you know, we see so many um, and they're all over the map. Like, you know, some of them, you know, in my opinion, a, a good 401k has of course, reasonable expenses, but also, um, you know, access to target date funds, which many of them do now, but also access to, you know, international exposure, domestic exposure, index funds, and actively managed funds. And they don't all have that. So, you know, I've seen plans yeah. that have like one international fund and a lot of them don't have emerging markets, which is a pretty um, standard asset class in our world. And, you know, some of them don't have a small cap exposure, which again is pretty standard in our world. And yeah. some of them have no index funds still where, where, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, those have just surged in popularity for good reason. And, and some 401k plans still don't have those. And um, I, I just think it's, it's, it's hard for the average person to know, well, is this a good plan or not? Um, yeah. and, and, and a good exercise to go through is to have a professional take a look at that and give their opinion. In, in all honesty, maybe not the professional that's the representative on the plan, right. <laughs> just to get an unbiased opinion. Yeah. And you, you can um, also, and even if you have good investments, right, just speaking specifically to the investments, you can have a 401k plan that you know kind of looks great on the outside, right? Maybe you have some investments, uh, you know, they're all offered by uh, Vanguard, which you, hey, you know, Vanguard has low costs. And then, uh, you know, they're very diversified, right? So you have your index funds, you have some actively managed, you, you can build your own portfolio. They have, you know, they have a great list of options for you to build your own portfolio, but you don't know that the underlying cost structure of that 401k isn't particularly high because that's not obvious right. anyway. So. Right. Uh, All right, we're we're right up against it here. So uh, we'll be right back. Uh, this is Justin McNamara for McNamara on Money, and we will be back soon. <laughs> 